Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton, and this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. So on the podcast, I actually got to follow up with a gentleman that I spoke to earlier this month at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, where I was moderating a pretty interesting panel on the Smart Cities Initiative. So joining me on the Business in Vancouver show on Roundhouse Radio 98.3, it was Clint Unseth. He's the Vice President of Innovation at Stuart Olson Construction. We go in depth about what exactly is the Smart Cities Initiative and how we really need to take a different approach with regards to innovation in Canada. We're going to jump into it. Earlier this month, I had the pleasure of moderating a panel at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade all about smart cities and initiatives that local companies are taking part in here across British Columbia. One of the guests on the panel was Clint Unseth. He is Vice President of Innovation at Stuart Olson Construction. Clint, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, good morning and thank you. You're welcome, but I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Why don't we get into it? Because we actually had a pretty good discussion at the panel last week. And I I think the first thing that became very clear to me is like there was no clear definition of what the smart cities actually represents here. But for you, when you're approaching this, and it's kind of this new hot thing to talk about right now, how do you interpret it? How do you articulate smart cities? Well, I do not want to play back to you another question, but what should smart mean? And I think in any given municipality or city, smart will have different meanings. And one of the things I think we're lacking right now, certainly in Canada, when we get on this notion of smart city, what does it mean to our citizens? And I think we need to ask the question more. So, for example, in Vancouver, we know that transportation uh, congestion is a major issue. Um, Well, might it be smart if we were to reduce congestion? Might it be smart if we were to reduce carbon, as an example? Um, Might it be smart if we were able to better manage rising sea levels? I mean, what does it mean to our citizens? And I think we have to ask this question. Well, and I think that's what we also want to understand here is just what initiatives are available. What are the practical things that we can start doing? Uh, Over at Stuart Olson, are there practical measures taking place? Like, What are some of the avenues that you think are going to be useful with regards to this? Oh, it's Stuart Olson uh, being in the construction side, and we've really grown up uh, doing buildings and campuses and, you know, some municipal initiatives, district energy, what have you. So from that context, as our organization went into it, we originally started looking at it from a technology play and, and the interrelationship between technologies. We hear things like IoT. Well, what does the Internet of Things really mean? And so technology integration was a part of it. But Today with our team, I would suggest it means more around engagement, and I would suggest a change change management. Today you have to bring people together that have never worked together uh, in just the topic of defining smart city. Well, you've got people today that have never worked together. You might have procurement with HR, with uh, urban planning, with finance, with technology. They've never worked together. So the notion of bringing us all together to better articulate or define what smart city means, in fact, it's really becoming a change management initiative. That's one of the key areas we're focusing at Stuart Olson. Well, you brought up the key word here, I think, is innovation. And what are we going to be able to do to improve that, yeah. uh, especially through the lens of maybe the smart cities? But tell me a little bit about just your overall thoughts about the importance of innovation, where we stand in Canada, especially. Well, I think innovation, unlike invention, and I, I, I often get in this discussion and people think you're creating, you're inventing something to innovate fundamentally. 
is to make something better. Innovation to us in our industry, if you think in the construction industry, whether it's a city building or it's just developing, building a building, how can we do it better? How can we do it faster? How can we do it more cost effectively? How can we create a better environment that's healthier and nurtures uh, creativity and helps people with their happiness or their productivity? And so when we think of innovation in our industry, fundamentally, how do we as an organization and as an industry be more productive, more competitive, number one? Number two, in our industry, when we think of buildings or cities, these are a major carbon emitter. And today, carbon economy, everybody, carbon is top of mind, air quality, um, you know, carbon footprint. Um, so how can we better reduce our embodied carbon footprint? And, and when you think of uh, the, the building cities and buildings and roadways, infrastructure, when we look on a global scale, I think Canada's construction sector, we have an opportunity to be much more productive. In other words, if we were to unitize how we build things, unitize tasks, if you would, into labor units, we should be able to build it faster and build it safer and higher quality. So innovation in a nutshell for us is about addressing productivity and quality and competitiveness. But over at Stuart Olson, when do you think this started to actually become kind of a concern or something that uh, the company wanted to be invested in? Uh, in the last two years, uh, the organization started investing. and we, we developed this role, really started this seven years ago on the whole topic of high-performing buildings. And in the last two years, we've really more formalized this, as our CEO and board would say, uh, developing a culture of innovation. So in the last two years, it's really become a very concerted effort across our, all of our areas of the organization and, um, and, and, and at every, every level of the company. And, and so innovation's really taken that hold. But again, for us, you know, we're getting into areas whether we want to talk about modular construction or we want to talk about uh, getting if we can achieve zero waste. And um, did you know in construction sector, as an example, 30% about, of our, about 30% of our landfill is um, – attributed to construction waste or building demolition related waste or old uh, concrete or asphalt, things of this nature, 30% of our landfill. So is there an opportunity for us to get to zero waste? So those are a few areas that innovation to us as we start to look at this in our corporate sustainability initiative. And then the other area, of course, is how can we create higher performing buildings and can we get to not only net zero, but net positive in terms of a building's carbon footprint or how it's not using but generating energy. So these are three areas that we're really focused on. And obviously, this is key to what makes up a city, but certainly there, from our side. And there clearly needs to be you know, I guess partners within this. And I want to hear from you, like what are, what, what's the feedback that you're hearing from potential partners, current partners? What do they want to get out of these sorts of initiatives? I, I really appreciate you raising that point on partners. Um, we talk about collaboration. Uh, we can't achieve this on our own. And if I think of uh, urban planning, uh, let's say we're going to do a new real estate development in a city, or it might be a new horizontal infrastructure like a roadway, or it might be a water dike, water management system, whatever the case. Partners today, uh, it could be an engineering firm, it could be urban planning, it could be the financial planner, whether that's at a pension fund level 
you know, we, we hear of alternative financial models like partnership BC, P3 is an example. So there's a whole number of players that have to come to the table and work together today. And I think, I think yet partnership often is used quite loosely. Um, but the fact remains we have to work more as a team. We have to collaborate. And, and when we get into this, to answer your question specifically, what's the feedback from the partners out there? Um, it's, it's very mixed. Sometimes people see the future and recognize the opportunity that we can achieve better and be more competitive and create an advantage for our business through collaboration. And then there are others out there that have more of a mixed view in that, well, partnering, sure, but is the client's procurement model going to support us by doing this? They'd rather wait and see approach. So for our organization, when we were really out to develop very sincere collaborative relationships, partners, as you say, we're looking for people that share a common vision and have that mindset to learn together, to challenge together, to do better together. So it's, it's a mixed bag. So it's a process. It just over time, you develop those sincere relations and people that share a vision that we can do better together. Well, speaking of maybe a mixed bag, I, I don't know what your experience has been necessarily with regards to people coming from the private sector versus say municipalities that want to pursue some of these initiatives. Is there a general sense that you get from either municipal perspectives versus the private perspective, or is it just kind of mixed up all around, just depends on the individual leading the charge here? Well, in Canada, in fact, just in the last couple of weeks, I guess now, uh, Canada, the federal government has put out what they call a smart city challenge. So this is a federal-based incentive, essentially, and they're creating it through a competitive scenario to solicit input from municipalities. But the municipalities, by extension, are going out to private sector and exploring you know, each of our collective skill sets. How could we complement each other to, to address this uh, challenge, this smart city challenge? And in what I see in a very general sense, you're seeing some municipalities around the country that are getting a call to action. They're out right now in their own form of requests for information, requests for proposal, soliciting information from the private sector. You know, whether that's consulting firms, financial advisory firms, uh, you know, what have you. But then equally on the other side, we see some in the private sector that, that see an opportunity to create value with and for a city. And, and so what we're starting to see is that, 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 that collection of you know, people coming together from private and the public, so notably municipal, and even a few cases of those in provincial layers are starting to come into the discussion. So people are coming together and starting to ask those questions. And, and I must say, uh, the federal initiative, the Smart City Challenge, uh, right now what I do appreciate it from is it's spurring some conversations where public and private are coming together. And we're starting to ask the question to each other, well, what does it really mean? What do we need to achieve? Like, what problems are we trying to solve? And and so uh, in pockets around the country right now, we're seeing this happen. And that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I believe there's tens of millions of dollars up for grabs with regards to this challenge as well. So they, they really do want to incentivize innovation as well as, I think, collaboration going on. But I right. mean, it could be daunting to some organizations, some entities. What would you say is kind of the first order of business if they want to pursue any of these sorts of things? Uh, we have to engage our communities, our citizens. What is important to our citizens? And, and if I may, uh, and I am out asking people this, for example, in Vancouver, if we play to our strength, how is it relevant to our city, to our, to our 
or citizens of the, the region. But equally important in my view is how might we leverage our strength that we could share with the world and create like our intellectual property and how do we capitalize on it? And in Vancouver, something I hear over and over and over again is traffic congestion. And and traffic, if you look at our, our economic models, one of the things here on the West Coast, one of our core strengths is logistics. Look at the port. You know, we there's a port, I think, Port Vancouver, the metro is like $200 billion a year, I believe. Don't quote me. I could be wrong. But I believe it's about $200 billion a year in and out of the port. Well, the ports are fed by these arterial roadways. Well, these roadways, what if we could reduce congestion on major roadways through fares like Knight Street, for example, Highway 99, the Oak Street? What if we could improve goods move, goods and service type movement even by 10, 20%? What would that mean for our economic growth in the region? And, and, and so there's the economic aspect, but on the other side of it, you know, this bike lane that I, I think long-term for Vancouver has been so good to have that. But on the other hand, when you're sitting in congested traffic rush hour and people are inching along and there's a bike lane that you see very few bikes going by, well, citizens are saying, well, why can't I use that bike lane in rush hour and, and the bikers use it more outside of rush hour? So I think, I think we have to engage our citizens and hear from them what is most important. And, in, and when, we, when we do crystallize that imperative, whatever that problem we together want to solve, then start looking at the economic value around that. And, and, and then we can start to create a roadmap of how we define a smart city. Well, you, you bring up traffic congestion, which I mean, I, I think every city across the world has to deal with mm-hmm. at this point. But I mean, I, I think the there's an economic argument here. And it makes me wonder why we haven't seen more kind of drastic measures taken. We have, I, I know a lot of companies are now pursuing, say, automated uh, or autonomous vehicles, for instance. But I mean, are there things that seem a little bit less science fiction-y or just uh, approaches that we can get, even just bringing stakeholders to the table to just kind of pursue this issue with regards to congestion? Well, and you've nailed it. Bringing the various stakeholders together, we can learn together. Uh, And and by the way, there's the economic, but there's also the health and well-being. And there was a, a... uh, an in-depth study that I just uh, came across this last week, actually, uh, on the topic of smart city, but it came out of Asia. There's a very scientific uh, study um, on the benefits related to both the economic but also the health well-being as a result of having improved what they call green traffic policies. And if we can better reduce congestion, how is that good for us, both from an economic side, but as well as the the health uh, side for people, for for our civilians? And so we we I think we need more of this type of discourse and 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 bringing various mindsets, various talents together, and and let's discuss it, let's have a debate. But I think I think there's a number of things. So for example, I know this isn't science fiction anymore, but if you think about these drones, now one side, yeah, there's drones that could be dangerous with air traffic control. And so there's policy and regulation that can address that. But what if, just what if we had drones that could take some of the courier type services off the roadway? What if? What if we use sensors that when the traffic was so heavy, the, the bike lane opened up for cars. And when traffic, uh, vehicular traffic was lesser, then it would open up more for the bikes again. What if all the downtown office towers and the workday schedules were offset so rush hour wasn't 
6.45 to 8.15 a.m. and again, 4.45 to 5.30. You know, like what if we had a traffic uh, load offsetting kind of schedule schema? I, I'm just throwing things off the top of my mind. Like what if we came together and thought this through as a city, as a community? We might find that there's ways that we could immediately reduce congestion and, and be better for families and be better for our economic uh, engines. Oh, we're speaking to Clint Unseth. He is Vice President of Innovation at Stuart Olson Construction. It's a wide-ranging interview. We're going to jump into it just after this break, so stay with us because this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott, Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, Give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600, or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. Once again, joining us, it's Clint Unseth. And Clint, you bring up a number of examples that you're just kind of listing off the top of your head. Yes. The reason I, I don't think they're out of this world, though, is because we look at what the costs are for a lot of these technologies, how much they've fallen over the last few years. I, I think they're going to be falling further as well. Do you think that just kind of the cost with, associated with a lot of these initiatives, it's making it a lot more practical to engage with now? Well, the costs are dramatically decreasing. You know, the the, the drone, uh, I think autonomous vehicles, which they're they're becoming accepted. We've just seen successful consumer-based testing in Japan, as an example, with autonomous vehicles, just as we are in California. And and I think, um, and with autonomous vehicles, they're using alternative energy. Notably, they're using a storage, a battery. And when we look at battery technologies in the last two years alone, how, how that is decreasing, if you go to alternative energy like photovoltaic array, I think I think price point in the last three years has de- de- declined by 50%. So, so as, as uh, manufacturing techniques, as material science advances and consumer as, as purchasing goes up, you're seeing greater volume and prices will come down even further. So I, I think that's part of it. However, if we go to the other side of the equation, if we're looking at our economic models, as I noted just in Vancouver, the port, if it's, let's just for fun math, um, 200 billion a year. Well, what if we could increase economic throughput by even 10% a year by reducing the traffic by 10 or 20%? Just what if? So if that meant another 20 billion a year, let's say, in that economic engine, well, if to clear out the roadways to have better through fair goods and looking at these alternative approaches, and let's say we had a rule of thumb, we need a payback within two years. Well, I think the math becomes quite, quite easy to work through if we bring all our stakeholders together. I have to notionally believe the business case is there. But to develop that business case, we need to bring our municipal stakeholders. We need to bring our urban planning and our economists and our technologists and our, our transportation. You know, we, we spoke in collaboration earlier, Tyler, and, and I, think, I think this is one of the items, examples. We've got to all come together. Let's pick on a problem if we agree on whatever that imperative is, like traffic congestion, and figure out the economics. And in my opinion, I think the payback model, it would just be good business sense. And, and, and as you're starting to see these research studies, the, the less time you're in a traffic, the more time you're at home, 
the healthier and happier you're going to be. So I think there's I think there's qualitative and quantitative factors that we could look at when we get into the benefits of a smart city. Well, you know, Clint, the I guess the example that worked best on me just in the last two or three years with regards to economic payback is I was speaking to a company that builds, manufactures, designs uh, electric buses. Right. And they pointed out the fact, okay, our buses are more expensive than if sure. you got a diesel bus. But if you look at the fact that you're not paying for fuel, yes. you are paying minimal maintenance costs as well, you are actually paying into this. It's going to be a much better investment over if you amortize this over a number of years. And I, right. I think we can kind of put that on a number of different technologies if we're looking at it from a macro perspective. But I, I think to do that, there needs to be a lot more. And we brought it up, this collaboration going on right. here. And it brings me to this, and you've mentioned a few times here, but maybe some procurement issues that are going on in Canada when it comes to kind of the procurement market, getting more companies, especially smaller companies involved with, say, uh, government contracts, etc. What do you think needs to be done with regards to procurement? Uh, uh, procurement right now, in my view, is the antithesis of innovation or collaboration. And you can pick on any one of the, the cities um, or the federal or provincial layers. Uh, it's not good. And so to achieve that, in my view, we have to identify outcomes. And if if is the end client, whether that's the city or, or whomever, if we look at procurement and we define the end outcome is what we want to achieve, let the private and or public sector, let the collaborative team, the partnership, come together and define how to achieve that outcome. And in my view, if procurement could focus just on what outcome, what results they desire, let the supply chain figure that out. For example, let me just play on this a bit. Because one of the things right now, do you know whether smart city in the big sense or the buildings inside a city make up so much of it in every way? And as human beings, whether we work, we study, we live, we think, create, it's in a building. Do you know that buildings next to traffic are the largest carbon emitter in this nation? And I find local companies now creating capabilities to generate carbon credits that we can now monetize on the market. We can make money on that. Well, procurement, what I have seen, they're not taking into account items like that. What if we could just look with procurement, define the outcome, let the supply chain figure out how to get there, and part of how we get there might include new revenue models, like for a city. How do we monetize carbon credits? Do you know there's local, there's, there's local companies in Vancouver, if I may, I'll just mention a few of them. Cowline, Sias, these two organizations... I just found them recently and what they're doing to monetize carbon. Well, how do we bring that into our equation? But when I go to the procurement office, they break it all out. As I say, they perpetuate the silos, the antithesis of collaboration. Makes it very difficult to achieve a desired outcome other than what low price is. Well, low price, I rarely find that low price is low price. In fact, I don't think it ever is low price. And so we've got to bring procurement to the table as one of the key team members and so that we can all learn together. And that's about collaboration. That's what's going to make it better. That's the essence of innovation. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I, I did write about this recently for Business and Maker newspaper. Oh. And there's a new program that was introduced by the previous governments. And it's called the Startup and Residence Program. It actually started in Silicon Valley. They're bringing mm -hmm. this model here. But essentially, they pat match up 
ministries that have a uh, problem that needs a solution with small startup companies as opposed to saying, hey, IBM or what have you, you're a big giant, you could probably solve this problem for us. It's starting with kind of like pilot projects, like little miniature things as opposed to investing big in one big thing. Do you think we need more of that kind of startup culture where you fail quickly, I guess is what a lot of them say. That If we inject that more into the conversation, do you think that would have an impact? I I think it would. And you've just covered a number of topics there. Uh, You know, Canada, I think already uh, small business makes up probably 97% of uh, the workforce in this country, as I recall. Um, But the small workforce, yeah, we can start fast, fail fast. And, um, uh, so I do believe in that. And it's interesting when you look at the big organizations, the IBMs of the world, in part, where's their growth coming from? It's acquiring the small companies that are getting very creative and, and creating the intellectual property. And so the big ones, in part, their, their accretive growth comes by acquiring these small, very fast, creative thinking, uh, value creation hubs. And, and so that's one topic just onto its own within the innovation area. And another side of it that you really hit on that to me is very important, and it was a lesson learned as we were doing smart buildings in years past, always start with a small pilot, a small proof of concept. Don't try and boil the ocean. Let's just start with something small that aligns to whatever that target imperative is that we need to achieve and learn from it. Uh, it's so important to start small and be practical and incrementally go at it. That's how we're going to learn. And when you, you, you're going to win fast, you're going to fail fast. And, and, and that's part of the risk management formula. So Clint, we have, we have to wrap up. I'll, I'll throw one more question at you, but I, I think there's a lot left to discuss and we'd mm-hmm. love to have you back on the program again. But why don't we talk about the security and privacy concerns that a lot of people have with this innovation that's taking place and whether we should be going all in and how do we address a lot of those security and privacy concerns? Well, great question. Uh, first on the privacy side, I think I think people have got to sign in or opt out right up front and, and uh, you could go into traffic patterns and parking patterns and there's benefits associated. I can go into use cases around, around a smart city like dealing again with traffic congestion and and there would be great benefits to uh, civilians if if they allowed their information to be used, like for uh, incentives around uh, vehicle insurance, as an example. But but citizens have got to opt in. But what I find really interesting often, people will talk about the privacy. And, nope, no, that's my privacy. But the same person, I see them on their mobile device and, you know, uh, they get whatever application and must agree that Google has full access to where they've been, their pictures, their their contact sure. database, you know what I mean? So it's when do you want to uh, enable a privacy access or not? I think we have to have an informed discussion as a community, as a country, so people are aware of it. The second area, though, more specific to security, and let us be very clear. As we start to think about smart and integrated systems and connected devices and whatever the case, cybersecurity is an absolutely real concern. Are we, always, are we ever going to uh, be able to ensure that nobody will ever get through? I don't think that's possible because there's as many talented bad guys as there are talented good guys. You know, you're the white hat, black hat. We'll, I think we'll always have that. However, we need to take a risk management approach and risk really equals threat times vulnerability. And, and we will always have a vulnerability. But if there is a threat agent that's motivated and capable to exploit our vulnerability, the threat agent will. 
So how do we manage that risk? How do we anticipate whatever the threat agent is? And how do we plan for the worst? If in the event something happened, here's how we responded to it. So I think risk management needs to become a much bigger part of the discussion when we start delving into cybersecurity. And, and again, on the notion of privacy, I think, I think it's through discourse. It's having communication like with, like with your organization on radio and, and in many forms of a platform where people are aware of it and we can have a discussion and debate. Um, but I think in countries like Canada, United States, we all say privacy is everything. But I also see mobile devices pervading every part of society, and we're all opting into allowing others to watch over what we're doing. So I think it's just having an informed discussion on these topics. Yeah, I think that opt-in for a lot of people is almost kind of a fear of missing out. Like you, there, there's so many social connections being made uh, right. at this point, so people have those issues. Clint, like I said, I, I think there's so much more we can delve into. We'd like to bring it back in the new year, delve into this even more. But for now, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. You're welcome. And I thank you. And, and I'd be delighted to come back. There's so much more. I feel like we're just scratching the surface <laughs> today. And this is such an important opportunity for, for our West Coast, our region. And, and, and I'd like the opportunity to discuss more of this and bring in some other ideas. And I, I think as a region, we can do so much. So thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, excellent. That's Clint Unseth. He's Vice President of Innovation at Stuart Olson Construction. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver. And this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott, Accountants and Business Advisors. If you guys want to find out more, go follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can also find our other stories at Business in Vancouver over at BIV.com. And look me up on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. I want to thank you all for listening.